Beware, because this episode is about to get messy. Okay, well that sounded really intense, so let's try that again. Yeah, that's better. Um, by the way, I hope you know that it took me 20 minutes to choose that jingle for the first episode, and I decided to reuse it for the second episode because I really liked it and it spoke to me, and honestly, I'm really tempted to put it in every episode, but maybe I won't put it in in the beginning. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, now I'm really tempted to play it again, but I won't. Anyways, I will try not to digress anymore. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Hot Mess Jess. I'm your host, Hot Mess Jess, and today's episode is going to be about diversity, the entertainment industry, some shows I've been watching recently. Honestly, I feel like I'm going to go on a lot of tangents today, hence the warning of the messiness, because I feel like it's going to be all over the place. But I wanted to talk to you all about a show that I watched over the weekend, Emily in Paris. Have you seen it? There's no free cricket sound, so you get to hear a goat bleat. I paused, um, but then I remembered that the medium of the podcast is that it's not really interactive. Which, I mean, yeah, is why I played that goat sound. But, I mean, making a podcast is great on my end because I feel like, for me, this podcast feels like talking to a friend which is really nice because I'm all by myself ever since my sister went back to New York. And I would sing the Celine Dion song of All By Myself, except you'd immediately, like, throw off your headphones or whatever. Um, Your ears would start bleeding. But anyways, I think that this feels like I'm talking to my friends because many of you who are my friends uh, texted me about it. And that honestly made me so happy. I really appreciate you all. And because of you and your listening and all that jazz, um, I unlocked metrics, which you can only do if you have a certain amount of plays in X amount of days. So I'm very thankful and just know that we're moving up in the world. Anyways, back to Emily in Paris. And maybe there will be some spoilers. Well, there might be, but there also might not be. I'll do my best to not ruin anything. Um, yeah. And I also think that there will be some ums in this video because I feel like one of the things about my podcast is that I'm just going to do it all in like one take and see what happens. So you can just hear my stream of consciousness. Anyways, so I was watching Emily in Paris over the weekend, finished all 10 episodes in one day. You know, not super proud of that, but it happens. And I love this story. Like, this 20-something-year-old girl going to Paris, not knowing any French, falling in love, eating good food, learning culture, doing her thing, you know? Um, There are stories about what is actually feminism, though some points off in the show because it ended up turning into, like, a man trying to explain what is actually, like, empowering for women, just a lot of mansplaining, but still conversations about feminism, which I thought were interesting, and there were also scenes that work to destigmatize masturbation on TV or self-pleasure as you will um it was the show was full of all sorts of 
scenes and conversations that I thought were engaging. And I was like, yes, this is my kind of show. But then I finished it and I was like, ooh, why do I feel funky about this? And before you ask, it is not because of all the hard snacking I was doing during my binge sesh. Honestly, I think the reason that I was just stuck with this kind of feeling is because the lead was white. And it's not because I hate white people or that like Lily Collins or I think that Lily Collins is a bad actor slash actress because I think she's really great in the show um, and I think she embodies the character of Emily really well. But I think I was kind of bothered by the show because the premise of the show is not is like based on this it is based on this like escapist fantasy of this american going to france where she like learns all these things and i feel like that's not you know limited to a white girl's dream it's not like whoever played emily could have been any race and like i think i have told most of my listeners or my friends Uh, And now all of you who are listening that I 100% want to go to Paris or London. Like, remember the stories of that one person in my life who used to read me French poetry and I immediately got naked afterwards? I'm just saying. Emily in Paris had the chance to continue pushing for representation and it just didn't. And although there are some lines in there that were some pretty American white girl shit... Like, the only thing she knows about France is Ratatouille or the Moulin Rouge, which honestly I found kind of funny, um, you know. And, and, and you know what, before any of my white listeners get in a tizzy, that was clearly a joke. I think many, if not all, Americans are ignorant to some degree, so lighten up. But I also think, like, because they cast a white person, and, you know, maybe she was written to be white. I don't know, actually. I haven't seen the script. Maybe I'll do some digging after this. I think in casting a white person, they lost a lot of opportunities to explore a lot of different topics like being an American and a person of color in another country um, because that is a very different experience and I wish I had more shows that showed me that narrative um, and those stories. And like, here's the situation about the show. In the show, they have like an Asian sidekick friend and she has a very interesting background, you know, a little stereotypical and whatnot, but I think it was, like, really cool, um, to see her character in the show and, like, shine in the way that she did, and I wish they focused on her more because she was a star on her own, and she was also navigating Paris, trying to pursue her dream, and I think she knew a little bit of French, but yeah, I mean, I think she still had a lot of different, like, struggles with culture, or it was sort of alluded to that, um, but, like, they could have made her the main, main character, uh, and, yeah, and I wish, like, I wish I was seeing her, like, fall in love and do all this stuff, but whatever. I don't want to spoil anything, so I don't, you know, want to say any more about that, but if you have thoughts and you've watched the show, reach out, because I totally want to know what you think, and, I hope you know this is like not a comprehensive review. This is just me literally coming out of my binging state and wanting to talk about Emily in Paris. And I think I'm also really curious about how French audiences receive the show because I think it was shot through a very American exceptionalism slash like America superior uh, type of lens. 
and I mean, yeah, and it's, and it's shot through, like, a very interesting American, like, I, I don't know, just, yeah, my point is, the lens is very, like, specific, and you can see it, and I was, like, really, also really interested about, uh, how French audiences would receive, like, the love story, or, like, the way they wrote about love there, because I think that was, like, really interesting, interesting, if you know what I mean, um, and, the, you know, the list goes on for all, all the things that, you know, could go wrong and, and kind of did go wrong. But like, I don't know. We'll see. I just feel like there were a lot of missed opportunities, in my opinion, to really like crack open conversations. And without like spoiling anything, there's this like character Sylvie and like there were like a, a lot of like seeds that were like thrown down about her. And I was like ready at the end of the show for them to like sow it. And, like, bring it, bring it to the, you know, main thing. Um, sorry. I feel like today I'm just a little off. So if I, like, sound weird or whatever, that's just what it is. It's one of those days. Um, but, yeah, her storyline, Sylvie's storyline was, like, hinted so many times. Like, I thought we were going to learn so much more. And I was, like, waiting for it because I thought she was a really complex and interesting character. And then I was, like nothing really happened. I mean, things happened, but it was just, like, nothing really, really happened, and I was like, hmm, you know, and I hope it doesn't seem like I'm just totally shitting on this show, because I want to remind you, I was so hooked that I watched 10 episodes in one day, so, you know, not all good, not all bad, and I, and I did, like, enjoy it, and I thought it was, like, funny, and whatever, but I'm also not trying to make any excuses for the lack of diversity, and, like, Yes, there were characters that were, like, POC in the show. want to, like, reiterate that. But at the same time, like, mm, why don't we just add more? Uh, and why don't we just, like, make the main main character POC? And once again, for my white audi- well, audiences, like, I'm not saying that I can't enjoy something with only white people in it. I mean, like, no lie. I do maybe enjoy it less. No, that's not true. Uh, well... Like, I don't know, I'm just thinking about Little Women, the 2019 version, and Pride and Prejudice 2005, which are some of my favorite things in this world. Like, literally, just thinking about Darcy's hand flex, or him saying, you've bewitched me, body and soul. Oh, like, my heart just started racing. And my tears were so freaking real when Joe was talking about her loneliness. She has, like, that beautiful monologue. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Like, holy shit. It was me and my mom and my cousin and we were just all in the theater and we were just looking at each other like crying when she said that and like that's some quality acting like that is some that is some high quality shit like that always gets me I like go back and watch that monologue and then I like cry but there definitely is a diversity problem in 2019 writing credits for top grossing films only went to 17% of women and 14% of of minorities and in the same year c-level positions in the entertainment industry were held by 91 91 percent of white people and 82 percent men shout out to ucla 2020 hollywood diversity report for that um but yeah i just think that's absolutely like wild it's 2020 like what are we doing and I feel like if you're not, like, super convinced by this, let me just say that I also recently watched Mulan, 
and it totally didn't make sense to me that there was like a whole Asian cast um but behind the screen behind the camera you know in the writing rooms there wasn't a single Asian person who helped with any of that and like I really like supporting you know films where it's like all Asian cast and whatever but like we need to get more people behind the camera and doing all these things like producing writing directing yeah I mean like when I watched Mulan I was kind of hesitant because I was like oh we're kind of getting told this like Asian story through white people who now have these legal rights to this story and are like profiting off of it and like copywriting it and like is any of that going back to like Asian people and like the people who's have like a cultural relationship to the actual story of Mulan like uh, and like I don't know maybe maybe I'm just like too meh about that but I think that we really just need to get more Asians into the industry like in all different positions and like a small spoiler about Mulan but like not really a spoiler about it it just like didn't make sense to me that in that movie they cut out Mushu because he was like too magical but then just like threw this phoenix who was like flying around doing whatever um but you know what like I still think that that Mulan movie was interesting you know on its own and no lie I did cry a little bit so you know like I said not all bad not all good but in that case I really did want more Asian people behind the screen um and have like my own feelings about the writers but yeah in all seriousness like I think it's really important to have more diverse stories and I think it's really important for those stories to be told by like people with very diverse backgrounds um and personally I think I definitely need more Asian stories and I need them told by Asians and Asian Americans who are writing directing producing them like and this isn't For me, this isn't anything radical, but, like, when you keep seeing things that aren't representative, it has, like, this effect of erasure, and it's lonely, and when I think about all the films and everything that I haven't seen that just, like, don't include Asian things, it's kind of like this industry is telling me, like, you are not meant to be seen, you are not meant to be heard, and, like, maybe that seems, like, really dramatic, but, like, if these things are supposed to be representative, if these things are supposed to be the stories that are told, like, why am I not included in that story? Why am I not included in that narrative? And I think that that definitely has to change. And I mean, I like see the way that it affects, especially like Asian, like American, Asian and Asian American, like youth, like, I don't know, I I guess I think about like my cousins and like, I want them to feel like included in these stories and I want them to be able to like look at characters and be like yeah that is me you know what I mean I don't know um anyways with that like welcome to my TED talk about diversity in the industry I honestly really didn't think it was gonna get that serious but I guess if you know we're being sort of serious now I think that there are a lot of barriers um for myself, as many of you know, I'm like trying to become a professional writer and I think that that means like a lot of different things. Like I I think I'm just so invested in working with words. Like I like call myself a wordsmith. Haha. <laughs> but um 
I think that especially when I am trying to like enter the entertainment industry, it's like very, very hard. There are a lot of barriers. Um, and I have been like trying to submit to competitions and like for myself, I know that entering these competitions with my scripts, like, which I know like my in, oh my gosh, I really cannot speak today. Um, I entered these competitions and I'm like, yeah, my script is straight fire. Like, I may have doubts here and there, but I know that I'm, like, writing cute-ass rom-com teleplays where Asian girls are, like, ruling the world. And, like, honestly, like, in the beginning for the writing of Emily in Paris, like, I'm just kind of like, mm, yeah, I could definitely write something that's slightly better than this. Okay, that's, like, my ego taking over, but, or, like, me trying to, like, cope. That writing was actually, like, you know it was cute, so, and I don't want to put anyone down, so, let me just say that, like, my writing is up there, too, it's worth that much, in my mind, because I have that confidence, um, sometimes, other days, I'm like, "Eh, whatever, but, yeah, I'm saying that in the most, like, loving and also moderately arrogant way, but, you know, to get my scripts into, like, these places, or even to, like, enter these competitions, the fees are crazy high, like, I'm about to try to enter one right now if I can come up with the money and it's $65 and like other ones are like over a hundred and I mean I think that's absurd and honestly I am kind of unwilling to pay that much and I was like talking to one of my friends about this and she's like yeah like it's one thing to like pay these things to get like your shot you know but, like, sometimes those competition, like, entry fee monies is also, like, going towards the pool of money that, like, the winner gets. And so, like, I don't, maybe I'm just petty, but I'm kind of like, dang, I don't want my paying for my shot to end up funding, like, another person. But then again, I'm kind of like, oh, but also, if you're talented and you win it, like, go you, and I support artists, so, like, maybe I am okay with that. Yeah, honestly, fund the arts. That's that's the stance. Fund the arts. But I'm just saying there are a lot of like structural issues. Um but stay tuned. I am also going to make a Patreon and hopefully it's going to be like really awesome. But moral of the story that shit's expensive. And ooh, I see that I'm kind of running low on time, so Maybe with the time I have left, I will end things on a happier note, which is honestly going to be me talking about how much I love BTS and K-dramas. This is like a new love for me. And for all of you that are kind of like, damn, hot mess just should be now, Korea boo just, like, honestly, maybe. Um, But I think I'm going to focus on Korean content right now because that has, that's been what has been getting me through quarantine. I don't know if that made any sense, but that's where I'm at. Like, when I watch weightlifting fairy Kim Bok Joo, my god, the main man, he's so cute and talented. And, like, Kim Bok Joo, the main, like, woman, she's a freaking icon. Like, she's so iconic and strong and, like, smart and brilliant and I don't know. Oh, but also, let me tell you something. Like, Cambodian content, I mean, nobody, nobody can sing it like... Rasray Sophia. Like she has so much range and her lyrics, her metaphors are beautiful. I really love her song Today I Learned to Drink. It's like basically about heartbreak and learning how to drink. 
uh, to like drown out your sorrows and whatnot, um, which I mean, I don't know, it, it's like a fun song, um, and I tried to like learn the lyrics with my mom, and I also really love the like Cambodian song Champa Badambang, and I honestly listen to it every time I get homesick, and then like for my Chinese content, uh, because I'm also Chinese. I really like the song Tian Mi Mi, which was, fun fact, sang at my parents' wedding. Um, yeah. But, oh jeez, now I'm like running out of time for real. And like, I won't have time to get into it, and this will 100% appear in another episode. But I think like, America claims to be like one of the most open and diverse places, and like, I think it is. Like, you have people coming in, you have people, like, it's a giant melting pot, you know, like, that's the that's the cliche term and and it is it's super diverse and I think for all it claims to be like America struggles a lot when it comes to xenophobia and racism in the arts and I think like some articles are covering it now I think Vox just did one article but I think it's like ridiculous that like Dynamite the song by BTS um had to be an all English song to like make it to the top of the billboard charts like to make it number one and I think, like, BTS 100% knew what type of game it was playing to, like, get to the top. And I think they knew what they had to do to do that. And they knew, like, the audience that they were catering to when they, like, made that. And I think, like, a lot of people have a gut reaction. And I know I used to as well when people were like, oh, you should listen to, like, K-pop. Or, like, when my sister was like, come watch this BTS video with me. Like, way before I was into that. Now I would, like, run across the room and, like, watch it with her if she was here. And I was like, but before I was definitely like, eh, I'll pass. And, like, I I know we might not want to call it what it is, but, like, I think that immediately closed off feeling for me, like, without even wanting to give it a shot, was, like, probably rooted in some form of xenophobia or internalized racism. I think for me is honestly 100% internalized racism, but, um, and I feel like that is gonna be another episode, because, yeah, it's hard, I think it's really hard to be POC in America, and honestly, all over the world, but if I had taken the time to read the lyrics, I honestly, like, read the lyrics or give it a shot, I think I would have been a lot happier, because, legit bts is all i've listened to recently and i am pretty freaking happy um their message i think is really special and if you know me you know i obsess over an underdog story and i think that's the bts story and i'm like really inspired by the way that they like continue to handle all their obstacles and you know the love care belief and just honestly the artistry um that they have and that they like encourage in each other it's I think it's really special to, like, see. I'm, I, like, watch, like, little Instagram slide compilations of, like, all these videos of just, like, how caring they are towards each other. And I think it's, like, I think it's, like, really beautiful. Like, when you see, like, two people, or in their case, like, seven people uh, connecting, that's, like, that's, like, what you want, right? Like, I think when you start to feel seen by someone, isn't that, like, when you feel recognized by somebody, isn't that, like, what love is? A little bit? Um, so anyways, I, I don't know, I really like them, and yeah, but I also think, like, on, like, a other tangent, I think so many artists during the pandemic 
and I, I thought about this, you know, with the release of, like, Dynamite and listening to their, um, listening to their interviews of them saying, like, they just wanted to give people something during the pandemic, like, I think so many artists right now, and also, wait, special shout out right here to one of my favorite writers in the world who will probably never hear this, her name is Jasmine Ward, I think she and like other artists are giving us so much during this pandemic, so much content is being created, and I'm gonna assume like they, like a lot of people in this world are, you know, living with the same realities, struggling with loneliness and isolation and grief grief and loss and I definitely know like loss is something that Jasmine Ward explicitly wrote about and I think like it's it's super evident anyways all those all those things are super evident and clear in the world and they just continue to give um, themselves to us through their art and I think that's something that we don't talk about because I feel like there is this kind of expectation that um artists that's what artists are meant to do they're meant to like create and they're they create and they give us things and I don't know how I feel about that mentality and honestly I want to maybe I'll I'll think about that a little bit more because I think that's a conversation that I want to crack open it's like why do we create things and then like you know the monetization of creation and you know all these different things but anyways I feel like that's another episode but um you know I for real, like, I also know that everyone has different, like, music tastes, but let me just say, with, like, BTS, I think that their lyrics are poetic genius and are so clever, and even if I can't understand it all, uh, because, you know, I don't speak Korean, I'm really happy that the translations exist, but, you know, even when they don't, I think that, for me, there's, like, something beautiful that can speak to me, even when I can't necessarily speak back to it. And I mean, like, literally, I cannot speak back in Korean, but the the experience for me, it, it does, it, like, I don't know, it, like, touches me, uh, for lack of a better words. Um, I don't know, does that make sense? Probably not, but I don't know, I just feel like you can really hear the emotion in the song, like, when I first listened to The Truth Untold, I sort of cried, because... I think, like, that's the power of art. Like, it's so transformative and it changes you. And, like, by experiencing it, it becomes, like, part of you. And this is, once again, the theory nerd in me because that's a whole theory that I will definitely get to in another episode. But, like, yeah, it definitely becomes a part of you. Like, even you listening to this podcast, like, you are now experiencing my voice and whatever. Um, Anyways, I'm not going to get into all that theory work, but... I think now more than ever in the pandemic we are turning to art because when we don't have the words art can kind of do that for us it connects us and we sort of look to it as like a salvation type of thing like I don't know or maybe this is just me and I just think that like I can be saved with art because I think it art has that type of like urgency you know it just it just like makes you think and it makes you so aware of things. Anyways, all this is meant to say that, like, art is a really beautiful thing, and it is everywhere, and we should be open to it in all of its different forms. And holy shit, like, I really feel like I'm, like, lecturing today, and I really can't seem to stop. Or maybe this is just passion. Who knows? 
anyways, I want to just try to fix my luxury tone by giving you another classic DM story. So, on my Tinder profile, there's a picture with me at the Museum of Ice Cream in the Sprinkle Pool. If you don't know what that is, it's like literally, just think of like a kiddie pool with sprinkles, but like way more intense. Also worth noting that my titties are kind of out in the pic. Anyways, so this boy slides in and he's like, where'd you find all those sprinkles? And I say, I can't remember where I got them, but I can tell you where they ended up. And yeah, you might think I was alluding to my boobs, but honestly, I was just talking about how the sprinkles ended up in my shoes. Uh, And it was like a nightmare to get all those sprinkles out of my shoes later. Anyways, I don't really know what I was doing with that line, but I sent it anyways. And then he goes, where did they end up? And I say, my milkshake, which I thought was really funny. Um, But then the interaction to me, like it got even funnier to me because he said, did you bring all the boys to the yard? And I was like, guess not because I'm still on Tinder. But I'm... Yeah, anyways, I feel like I could have found a sound to do that since I was, like, kind of obsessed with sound in this episode. But yeah, boom roasted, as my cousin would say. Uh, Yeah, I just boom roasted myself. Uh, And with that, thank you for making it through this hot mess of an episode and for listening. Um, I'm really grateful for you all and for your texts and support. Uh, Much love and until next time. And I'm adding a last-minute segment. Sorry, I have a lisp. I literally put my retainer in. But also, I want to say that, like, when I was talking about BTS and everything like that, like, when I say that they knew the type of game they were playing, it was more to say, and I, I think this is, like, an important thing to say, it's just, like, they understand the barriers that they're up against, like, the xenophobic barriers and how, you know, like outside foreign whatever you want to call it music is so um stigmatized and um how people are just like not open to it and it like really sucks too like they like even you see it at award shows where it's like why is this in a different category like why are there these qualifying terms for it like why can't it be considered under pop why does it have to be like k-pop and like fine yes it is like korean pop but like I just think that those types of, like, seemingly innocuous things, like, have effects, you know, by the way that, like, people perceive that or the way that it's, like, othered, um, and so that's what I meant to say in terms of, like, that's the type of game they know they're playing. Also, like, yeah, (laughs) I moved rooms, so, like, now you can hear my laundry machine and everything, but, um, anyways... I just think that it's, like I said, really important to be, like, open um, to all different types of genre, genres and art everywhere. Um, but, yeah, I guess I I felt like, I don't know. Maybe I was, I was watching another BTS video right now, and I was just, like, thinking about that. And I have been watching, like, a lot of interviews, and um, I don't know. Like, I recently came across one where RM... Um, who, who honestly is, like, known for saying that, you know, like, uh, music can, like, transcend all these, like, different things. It's just, like, and, and to hear him, like, doubt himself when he said that just, like, made me so, so sad. 
um, when he was like, I don't know if I genuinely believe that, or, like, you know, just, like, all these things, and, like, I get it, like, um, people have doubts and, like, things like that, um, I don't really know where I was going with this, but I, I think, like, yeah, I don't really know where I was going with this, but I just felt like it was important to say, like, the real world effects on how we, like, categorize things and how we try to, like, make things super, like, pure and clean-cut and stuff, like, that is, that is, like, a type of, like, danger in itself, and, like, once again, huge theory nerd, if anyone's interested, read Purity and Danger, but it is, like, when we start to, like, try to categorize things, like, that is, we're creating a system of ordering, we're creating, like, un- we're creating these, like, hierarchies without even, like, really acknowledging that we are creating these hierarchies. I think in the case of America, it's always, like, America is, like, the best, whatever. Like, that's the type of thing. So, I think what I'm trying to say is, like, let it's important to, like, be aware of that, you know? Like, ask yourself how you're categorizing things. Ask yourself around the world, like, why do we categorize things in these ways? Because I think that that's super important. And, yeah. Maybe I'll talk about that more in a different episode. I don't want to make this episode too long. I also feel like this episode lacks my usual passion. Uh, maybe because I'm just, like, so out of it. But, um, yeah, that's my little thing to the end. Okay, so now I'm going to end it. Once again, much love. Can't wait to see you next time. And I have a little surprise for next episode. Um, but, yeah. Okay. Bye. <laughs> And last thing I'll say, I also really do like the song Dynamite. Okay, this is the last thing I'm going to say about this podcast, or this episode. Stay tuned for next time. Once again, thank you for listening.